Greetings, and welcome to the Pegasystem Second Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A brief question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. It is now my pleasure to introduce your host, Peter Welburn, Vice President of Corporate Development and Investor Relations. Thank you, sir. You may begin. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Pegasystem's Q2 2023 earnings call. Before we begin, I would like to read our safe harbor statement. Certain statements contained in this presentation may be construed as forward-looking statements as defined in the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. The words expects, anticipates, intends, plans, believes, will, could, should, estimates, may, forecasts, and guidance, or variations of such words and other similar expressions identify forward-looking statements, which speak only as of the date the statement was made and are based on current expectations and assumptions. Because such statements deal with future events, they are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Actual results for fiscal year 2023 and beyond could differ materially from the company's current expectations. Factors that could cause the company's results to differ materially from those expressed in forward-looking statements are contained in the company's press release announcing its Q2 2023 earnings and in the company's filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including its annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2022, and another recent filings with the SEC. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such forward-looking statements, and there are no assurances that the matters contained in such statements will be achieved. Although subsequent events may cause our views to change, except as required by applicable law, we do not undertake and specifically disclaim any obligation to publicly update or revise these forward-looking statements, whether as the result of new information, future events, or otherwise. And with that, I will turn the call over to Alan Treffler, founder and CEO of Pegasystems. Uh, thank you, Peter. And to uh, everyone who has uh, joined today's call, especially those of you who have gotten up pretty early to do so. Um, I, I wanted to, to just reinforce that at Pega World last month, I had the opportunity to spend time with many of our clients and have very meaningful conversations. And in virtually every discussion, uh, not just the ones I had, but in meeting with other Pega execs, our clients want to talk about the future of AI, um, and specifically about the impact of generative AI and how they should be thinking about it, how we are approaching it, and how they can leverage AI responsibly and safely. Clients are seeing that this technology will change their business in fundamental ways and are excited about the potential. At the same time, there is so much information in the market and so many conflicting opinions. They are eager to learn more and separate out the marketing hype from the reality. It's clear this technology is going to drive massive shifts in how we get work done. And in Pega's world, how applications are designed, built, evolved, and supported. We believe Pega is uniquely positioned to leverage this technology, bring it to our clients in a safe and secure way, and take advantage of this massive opportunity. Now, for those who attended Pega World, you saw this firsthand on the main stage as well as during our investor session. We believe that generative AI will accelerate the adoption of PEGA, making it easier, faster, and cheaper to deploy it, improving the client experience, and driving expansion of existing relationships. And that will translate into helping our clients leverage Gen AI in their organizations to improve efficiency, save money, and enhance employee and customer satisfaction. Now, nonetheless, there are concerns about the overall economic environment, and clients are being conservative in their decision-making, even as they engage in these very positive conversations more deeply. Now, taking client feedback in and evaluating the impact of this new technology, it's become clear to us that we have further opportunities to streamline how we engage with our clients. During this quarter, we will be working with our teams on ways to get even closer to our customers. Now, because AI is so important, I want to take a minute to be able to reiterate why PEGA is uniquely positioned to leverage generative AI and why this will bring special benefits to our clients. Now, PEGA has been integrating and innovating the use of artificial intelligence and automation since I founded the company. 
And we've gone through many evolutions. I think this is as an exciting one as I've ever seen. I believe we understand what clients need, and we can drive value and acceleration from generative AI while preserving the scale and scope that enterprises demand. And a big piece of this that is unique to PAGA is we've built an architecture that is perfectly suited to tap into the disruptive power of generative AI, both today and well into the future. And we know how to monetize it. Most companies are thinking about generative AI as a code generator of one form or another. But that will really only get them so far. Going directly from prompts to code doesn't really provide the structure an enterprise needs to create an enterprise class system that can evolve. In contrast, PEGA has always been based on the concept of a business model at the center that creates a structure and a system that can evolve as the industry and customer needs change. Our architecture is built on what we call the situational layer cake. And you're going to hear me talk about the layer cake a lot, not just now, but in <laughs> coming quarters as, as it helps to really power this revolution. It's a, a proprietary capability that organizes all of an enterprise's processes, rules, data models, and UI into layers. So it supports building and reusing. Now, this layer cake is the perfect place to plug in Gen AI. It, it creates a pace that after the Gen AI contributes, people can see the model, touch it, understand it, and regenerate as needed. And it is this layer cake, this architecture, that is what PEGA is uniquely able to provide our clients, a proprietary structural advantage at the heart of our products. Now, it's not something that can be easily copied or reproduced, and it allows us to develop an integrative generative AI rapidly and seamlessly. So we have been at the forefront of using AI in responsible ways and developing responsible AI frameworks that are trusted by our clients, and they will be critical as they build their own AI models. And the layer cake helps us there, too, by helping create visibility for what comes from PEGA, versus what a customer might build or develop independently on top of it. Now, this combination of architecture, experience, and capabilities, I believe, will make us more successful than our competitors because it will help our clients be more successful and being able to let them quickly adapt and build for change. By the way, I think Gen AI is going to be devastating to the uh, most of the low-code companies that haven't taken this kind of approach. Um, as a result, you already see some players starting to talk less about using low-code, um, and I think a lot of low-code players are going to get wiped out. But at Pango, we're still talking about low-code because we've always used low-code to build a layer cake. We've always used low-code in a way that provides the structure that was really almost presciently designed for the introduction of concepts like generative AI. So we can implement generative AI as a strength. Now, I expect that we will monetize generative AI in three ways. First, clients will create more PEGA apps and process more work on our platform. You know, most of our licenses are already work quantity-based. Um, years ago, we began moving away from seat licenses because, frankly, seats are going to go down uh, or if, if the industry does the right things, they should go down a lot. And, you know, we saw this coming a long, long time ago. So you can think of most of our licenses as being consumption or capacity-based, which is exactly, I believe, the type of license you want in this sort of environment. I think it's good for the client and good for us. Secondly, I, I do think um, we're going to see that the fact that we're doing this generative AI work in Pega Cloud and leading with Pega Cloud for generative AI will serve as a catalyst for more clients to move from existing uh, term or maintenance contracts to PEGA Cloud subscription agreements. And third, we will offer specific Gen AI-powered add-on features uh, for which there will be an additional charge. Now, we recently announced and showed at PEGA World 20 generative AI boosters 
that will be available with Peg Infinity 23 this summer. And we've just gotten started. In fact, uh, our engineering team began this year with a Gen AI focused hackathon that resulted in more than 100 new prototypes of capabilities. Uh, many made it into Infinity 23, and there's much more to come in subsequent releases. We have clients who are signing up to be early adopters already, and they are engaged and excited about these capabilities, and we're excited about working with them and seeing what we can accomplish together. Uh, before I move on, I want to take just a few minutes and provide some additional color on Pegor because it was so spectacular. Uh, this was the first time we came together in person since 2019, and the energy and excitement was palpable. If you couldn't join the sessions or would just like to see all the replays that are available on Pega.com, just search on Pega World Replays. We have more than 3,500 3, attendees from around the world representing over 47 countries. And we have inspiring keynotes from clients like Virgin Media, Rabobank, City, and Aflac, who are all using Pega to drive their business. We have more than 80 deep dive breakout sessions with additional clients sharing their stories from companies including BT, Google, Santander, Siemens, T-Mobile, United Healthcare, Verizon, and Wells Fargo. But one of my favorite breakouts was from LeasePlan, who talked about their transition to a fully digital business model. They're leveraging PEGA in their center of excellence in pursuit of their vision to becoming a car-as-a-service organization with a strong focus on service efficiency and digital channels. This will let them optimize costs and capture market growth. And they're leveraging our state-of-the-art constellation open user experience technology and our prescriptive design system to give their clients and their staff exceptional experiences. You can find a replay of this excellent session on Pega.com. Just go to Pega World under events and search on Plan. one word. Now, I heard there uh, very often how much clients value being able to connect with peers from other companies and learn from the Pega journeys of others. Uh, and they told me that attending in person, they were able to get done in just a few days what might have taken weeks or months in terms of discovery, getting questions answered, experiencing the technology, and ultimately understanding the value Pega can provide. I also heard positive feedback about our client-first target org model and the value we are, I think, mutually achieving, providing a more focused and dedicated engagement team to stay close to our clients. And they're excited about the new capabilities, and they're really looking forward to seeing how we continue to approach generative AI in the future. Finding ways to accelerate development and improve the function of business users without the needs for, uh, uh, well, traditional longer ways to do it. So I came away feeling incredibly energized and more convinced than ever that we have the right client engagement style, the right technology, and a team that can drive success for our clients and for Pega. Our partners were there in force, and they also, I think, brought both enormous value, and I saw tremendous engagement between them and our clients. So, uh, as we move into the second half of the year, we're going to be looking to continue to double down and push on this strategy to improve operating effectiveness with additional improvements to our go-to-market alignment that will help maintain and bring even greater attention to that focus. So, uh, in summary, we are focused on building a successful company for the long term and uh, having our clients successfully navigate what is currently, candidly, a challenging selling environment that we think may persist for some time. Let's face it, right now the world is uncertain and rapidly changing. But I believe we have the right strategy to succeed in this environment while building for the future. We're focusing on our client base with solutions that drive efficiency and cost savings. And uh, we're helping our clients navigate this same set of macroeconomic conditions. We see that Gen AI will rapidly change the landscape of how work gets done, massively. And we have a unique advantage that we can leverage and that I believe will be sustainable. And we are making good progress as we pursue the goal of 
trying to be a rule of 40 company as we exit next year, balancing growth with fiscal discipline, and I'm happy to point out, generating very, very significant cash flow. Now, to provide more color on financial results, uh, let me turn it over to our CFO and COO, Ken Stilwell. Thanks, Alan. Our first half results demonstrate our ability to generate increasing amounts of free cash flow while maintaining a double-digit growth rate. The most important metric to measure the success of our business continues to be the growth in annual contract value, or ACV. At the midpoint of 2023, ACV grew 13% year over year. Our ACV growth was driven by the continued momentum of Pega Cloud ACV, which reached $499 million at the end of the second quarter. I'm excited that our Pega Cloud SaaS business continues to be the largest and fastest growing ACV component. And Pega Cloud Backlog grew by 23%, or $164 million year over year. Pega Cloud now represents more than two-thirds of total backlog. This growth is further evidence of the underlying strength and momentum of our subscription transition. Another key metric to measure the success of our business is cash flow. In the first half of 2023, Pega generated $114 million of cash flow from operations and $123 million of free cash flow, a fantastic achievement. $123 million is the highest level of free cash flow dollars generated in the first half of a year in the history of the company. There are several reasons we delivered this result. First, in late 2017, we started the subscription transition to move from a company that sold perpetual software licenses to now a company that, sell, that sells primarily subscription offerings. We embrace the subscription-based business model in response to demand from our clients who are looking for a fully managed offering as a modern way to access our technology. We also like the fact that recurring billings and thus cash collections are more durable and predictable. We knew and discussed publicly that cash flow would improve as we exited the subscription transition. Seeing Pega generate record-free cash flow in the first half of the year is a great step forward in realizing the vision we articulated more than five years ago. Second, as part of the completion of the subscription model transition, we placed a greater emphasis across the organization on driving free cash flow. Whether it being more disciplined on hiring or more selective with third-party spend, I'm seeing numerous examples of our team members making meaningful steps to focus on improving profitability. Third, we're doing a better job aligning our spending with our ACV growth drivers. In other words, we're instilling better operational rigor than we have in the past. For example, we believe that more than 90% of our ACV growth this year will originate from existing clients through our high client retention rates and our cross-sell and upsell activity. It's far more efficient to sell into existing clients and new logos, especially in times of greater economic uncertainty than I think we'd all agree we're experiencing today. One reminder, in a subscription-based business like ours, which generates significant term license revenue, there can be a mismatch between billings and revenue. Under ASC 606, the majority of term license software revenue is recognized up front. However, billings and cash collections occur primarily one year in advance in equal installments over the life of the contract. This dynamic means that we can deliver strong cash flow even as reported revenue in any given quarter fluctuates up or down. As a reminder, we do not provide quarterly revenue guidance. Collectively, our mid-year results show that we continue to make progress on managing the company with and toward a Rule of 40 mindset. As a reminder, we define Rule of 40 as the combination of ACV growth and free cash flow margin. Achieving the Rule of 40 milestone is a very important one for all of us at PEGA. Reaching this goal will provide us with another reason to be proud of the business we're running. Generating strong free cash flow provides the fuel for PEGA to invest in our business and to provide outstanding support to our clients. And it gives us the financial strength and flexibility to navigate through any uncertain economic environment. For example, in the first half of 2023, our cash and marketable security balance grew, providing, with, providing us with the ability to spend about $90 million on repurchases of our convertible debt at a discount. At the end of Q2, our outstanding convertible debt balance was approximately $500 million. As we outlined in our investor session during Pega World in June, we see three major levers to achieve the free cash flow margin necessary to attain the Rule 40. The first is expanding total gross margin, which is a function of Pega Cloud gross margin, 
term maintenance gross margin and our professional services gross margin. Improving PEGA cloud gross margin will be the biggest driver of total gross margin improvement. We expect to improve PEGA cloud gross margin by continuing to scale PEGA cloud, increasing automation, and implementing multi-tenancy in Kubernetes. On a trailing 12-month basis, PEGA cloud revenue is now $423 million, up from about $50 million just a few years ago. In the first half of 2023, PEGA cloud gross margin improved from 68% to 73% year over year. The second major lever that will drive operating leverage is in the area of sales and marketing. This is certainly the most difficult of the three to tackle. We continue to balance our need to invest in sales and marketing to drive ACV growth with our need to improve sales efficiency. We certainly have a lot of work to do. In the last few months, we've received feedback from our clients, partners, and employees on ways to further simplify client engagement to drive greater success. We're evaluating all of these suggestions to improve our go-to-market effectiveness, and we plan to implement changes in the second half of the year to continue driving improvement in our go-to-market productivity. The third and final major lever that will improve our operating leverage is in the area of research and development in GNA. The approach here is simple. We plan to increase R&D and GNA spending at a slower rate than we expect to grow the company. Delivering best-in-class innovation to our clients continues to be critical to our success. We, we will continue to invest heavily in R&D. However, we believe we can do so in a manner that still improves our efficiency. As you can tell, we're very focused on growth, expanding gross margin, improving sales efficiency, and increasing operating leverage. The companies that are successful in navigating uncertain economic times like the environment we're in today typically are ones that focus on growth, expense management, and generating free cash flow. It's very reassuring to our clients that PEGA maintains the financial strength to continue providing outstanding customer support and product innovation. Before I wrap up, I've been asked to offer a few thoughts on modeling our business in the second half of 2023. As a reminder, the third quarter of the year is typically one of the lightest term license revenue quarters of the year due to seasonality. That's because we often book far, for, far fewer renewals of term license agreements in that period. In contrast, the final quarter of the year is typically a relatively stronger term license revenue quarter because we, like most enterprise software companies, experience a higher level of contract renewals in the last quarter of the fiscal year. In conclusion, it was great seeing so many of you in person during our investor session in June at PegaWorld in Las Vegas, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of you as we get back on the road in August and September. Operator, at this time, please open the line for questions. Thank you. We will now be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first question comes from Steve Enders with City. Please proceed with your question. Okay, great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the questions this morning. Um, I guess I just want to ask first on, you know, kind of what you are seeing out there in the, in the macro situation and, and some of the uncertainty with, with customer budgets, uh, and I guess, you know, how that relates into the uh, sequential decline that we saw here on the uh, ACV uh, line in the quarter. So, so let me, let me, um, hey, Steve, it's Ken. Um, let me, let me hit on the second part of your question, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hand over to Alan to give a perspective on the on the market landscape. So um, it, it is unusual to have a decline in ACV sequentially in a quarter. It's it's not it's not unheard of, um, especially in a situation where we had such a strong build in the first quarter. Um, there's there's a lot of a, there's a lot of anomalies that that pop up in a quarter around you know renewals and you know we do have some churn in clients. It doesn't always happen uh, linear. We actually have. Consumption agreements that you know that reset at different points in the way we calculate ACV. So we we tend to not look at things um, in a, in such a small discrete period as a quarter and think think about things over a trailing uh, twelve months kind of view. So like I said, it is unusual to see that happen, but um, it is not something that we believe is systemic, and we don't think it impacts our ability um, for you know to drive toward our full year results. 
So I'll hand back to Alan on the on the view on his view of the market. Yeah. So um, I, I I think the market is definitely being conservative. You know, we're we're seeing more approvals, uh, sometimes popping in at the last moment. Uh, you know, having some things that you would have expected would have just closed in the matter of course, and some which have since closed, but that just took longer. I think that uh, in in the companies that are our clients. There's just an extra level of scrutiny that is that is going on, which you know I've seen before and in other times when there was uncertainty, and I think we know how to deal with it. Well, I know we know how to deal with it, but I do know that uh, I'm 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 expecting that this is going to be true for a lot of other companies, and it's going to be true, uh, you know, possibly for the next quarter or two. You know, I, I don't think it affects our long-term prospects in any way, though. Okay, no, that's uh, that, that's helpful context there, and appreciate the, uh, the the comments around that. Um, I guess you know, kind of given the budget situation that we're talking about here, and you know, the the excitement around AI, I, how are you thinking about the the path to monetization for all the new functionality that you you know talked about and, and released at uh, at Pega World last month, and how customers are kind of feeling about those investments in uh, in Pega AI going forward? Well, you know, look, customers are being bombarded with every uh, every company they talk to, and even ones I'm sure they're trying to avoid coming and offering AI miracles to them. Uh, I, I, if the, the hype cycle here is is uh, actually, I think it might be unprecedented. To tell you the truth, the uh, the reality though is we have a lot of credibility with our clients, particularly when we can show them the real types of things. That we were able to show at Pega World, and that you know you could see in some of the videos that we posted. So there was a tremendous amount of of interest, and I think uh, we have a lot of confidence from our clients that the way we're going to do it is going to be a way that really works. You know, we are seeing, as we've seen in the past, a lot of customers doing their own experimentation. A lot of customers, as you would expect, um, are are putting their toes, dipping their toes in a lot of ponds. Uh, we're seeing the same with analytics, too, uh, that there's just a lot of, oh, my God, how do I figure out how to you know, get the value out of my data? How do I drive expense out? How do I you know, do everything from you know, create better end-to-end automation to uh, you know, be able to have the AI do summarization that otherwise the human would have to do? So there's just so much activity and interest. I, I think we're doing well, and I've been in a lot of meetings in which we've had the discussion, explaining why the PEGA approach is differentiated, why it's architecturally superior, and I know customers are taking that um, very, very seriously. And I expect it will lead to, you know, as I said in the three ways we think of monetizing this, I think it will lead to, to greater usage and we're already primed for that greater usage to lead to uh, to better better outcomes for them and good outcomes for us. Okay, perfect. Thanks for taking the questions. Our next question comes from Kevin Kumar with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Thanks for taking my question. I, I had one on cash flow, which was very strong in the first half of the year. And I, I know you updated guidance during investor day to 180 million for the year. Uh, it feels like you're, you're tracking ahead of that number, particularly given 4Q tends to be a strong quarter. Is that still the right way to think about that? Anything else you would call out in terms of kind of the cadence of, of cash flow for the year? Uh, hey, Kevin, um, thanks for your question. So um, it would, it would be, um, it would be silly for me to suggest that, uh, being where we are at the midway point doesn't, you know, isn't a, a good thing in terms of us achieving our cash flow for the year. Um, and I certainly don't think that, uh, you know, 150 or 180 or whatever number we have is, is something where we'll just stop and say, oh, we've achieved that, we're good for the year. So we're going to try to generate as much cash flow as we can because we know that the more cash flow that we generate this year just means that our structure is set up to generate cash flow in future years. So uh, I, I would say we're not we're not updating or adjusting guidance, but uh, I would say we're we're very pleased with where we are, and we think it you know bodes well for the future of uh, increasing cash flow um, for Pega. I'll also say that the mood of the company 
is um, has really, I believe, come a long, long way in adopting a culture of balance um, of trying to, you know, head towards rule of authority this year, rule of authority next year. And so it's, it, it wasn't like the cash just fell out of the sky. It's that people are doing the right things. They're thinking about, about being more economical, but also how to, you know, to be, to be candid, you know, bump up that critical component of being a rule of 30 and 40 company. You know, it's part of everybody's complex. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a little extra attention helps a lot. That's great. Um, thanks for the context there. And um, I had one on just um, on um, Europe. I, looking at the segment revenue details, it implies, I think, Europe accelerated revenue growth in the first half. Um, is that maybe just catch up? And any, you know, is there anything you'd call out in terms of potential recovering in some of those different regions? And anything you're you're hearing from your customer base? Thank you. Yeah, that um, I will. I will. Um, I would say don't. Uh, please be careful with how much you look into segment uh, reporting for re- for regions on revenue, because remember, a lot of our revenue still is term license revenue under ASC 606, and so. The, the mix and the timing can, can somewhat just be, just happens to be the, you know, the way the revenue flowed between the, between the geos. I would say that said, we have not seen a noticeable change, um, in, in the theaters in the first half of the year in terms of positive or negative. I just think sometimes the revenue, um, flow is different, Kevin. So that, I, it's more that than it is actual, uh, economic changes. Understood. Thanks for taking my questions. Yep. Our next question comes from Rishi Jalura with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thanks, Alan and Ken, for taking my questions. Um, first, I wanted to uh, kind of drill a little bit back into uh, the, the consumption element of the business. Uh, at the analyst day, you had said that part of the goal of, of generative AI is driving more consumption. Maybe can you give us a little bit of a reminder for, for today how much of your business is is actually consumption? And as we think about the actual adoption of generative AI solutions, how that impacts the mix of, of consumption versus subscription, um, you know, and, and maybe what does that do to, to some of the leading metrics like ACV and RPO that, that we're all still looking at? And then I've uh, got a follow-up. So let me let me start with that, and then Alan can can fill in the gap. So, um, just a reminder for us: it, uh, when we say consumption, we don't mean a contract that is pay by the drink with no commitments from the clients. What we mean is that the contract is based on a a usage or a consumption metric, and that and that that increase in that metric allows a sharing of value between our clients getting more value from using the solution and us achieving more value from those commitments. If, if the, when you think about our contract consumption, meaning a model that our contracts are based on a consumption or usage metric, um, it's well above 50% of our contracts are actually using a usage-type metric or a consumption-type metric. In terms of the amount of our ACV or revenue that is driven by variances from contractually committed uh, arrangements with our clients, meaning overages or variances, it's very variances. It's still a relatively small part of our business that comes from clients um, going over their contractual. That normally, what happens with clients is when they get to that point, we recontract with them with new commitments. So, so most of the agreements, and I think just to clarify what Ken is saying there, because I think it's a really interesting and important point. We did, we did some things several years ago when we began wanting to move to a more uh, non-seat-based model, to a model that was based on the quantity of work, to converge the concepts of subscription and consumption. So what we found is the clients really don't like it when the amount they have to pay bounces around too much from one quarter to another. It makes it hard for them to budget. You know, it, it can feel unpredictable. 
particularly if it ends up being driven by some external circumstance, uh, you know, that, that suddenly something falls, a, you know, a lot more items or a lot more exceptions, a lot more calls in the call center. So the quarter-to-quarter the, the -quarter variation was something we wanted to avoid. But on the other hand, we wanted to accommodate customers whose business was increasing even as their seats was, were decreasing. So what we basically typically do, as Ken said, to avoid having it bounce too much for a customer from quarter to quarter, is instead of doing overage charges, we use the increased level of use, the increased consumption, to reset a new subscription price so that it reflects itself in the go-forward ACV. Uh, and it becomes something that candidly is a lot easier for the customer to budget and understand. And I think it's actually easier for us to administer, but I don't believe that was the, 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 the motivation. Does, does that make sense, uh, Richie? Yeah, that, 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 that's a very, very thorough answer. Really appreciate it, guys. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, it was I want to make sure you have an answer. Appreciate. I'm going to answer yeah. one part of your question that we didn't answer, backlog, RPO. Yeah. When you move to more consumption or usage-based models, there is a chance that the client, a contract duration would come down slightly. And so that could actually be a headwind to RPO growth slightly, not materially, but slightly. So that's your second, the one part of your question there, just to clarify that. And the reason why that is, is we want, we want, um, faster iterations of measuring our clients' usage to be able to grow ACV. Longer durations tend to lock in usage for longer periods of time. So that's a, that's the RPO question, uh, answer. Okay, great. And, and, and just uh, uh, just to clarify, that shouldn't shouldn't have an impact on CRPO or, or RPO with one year or under, correct? No, no, it, it, okay. it would be it would highly unlikely to impact current RPO. Yeah. Okay, really helpful. Thanks. And then um, one other piece of feedback we got when we were talking to partners at, at Pegger World is is that generative AI can can really help speed up time to value. Um, maybe based on your customer conversations, how do we think about the potential for this to reduce implementation times, reduce sales cycles, uh, you know, and, and and kind of lead to maybe over time. Um, you know, be better net new business, you know, showing up in the model. Maybe help us understand how you're thinking about that. Thanks. Um, I think it's going to be huge. You know, when I did my closing at, at, at Pega World, um, and the video is still up there, I talked about four things that I expected to come back to that audience with the following year. And I want you to know that the company is galvanized around working as hard as we can to make sure we deliver on these things. Uh, the first was what we call pegging the fingertips. So using the power of generative AI, um, including some of the things that are going to be in 23, uh, to be able to make it so the system is giving people building the software advice. It's also going to be able to give end users who are using the software advice and even do work for them. So that was the first of the four. The second was we expect to double developer productivity as a direct result of the implementation of these features. And relative to what you were asking about, uh, I think this is unquestionably going to increase the velocity of sales cycles, and uh, it's, it's going to make it easier for customers to get a lot more done with the same dollars. Uh, and, and so, you know, we're working to get our partners excited about how this will let them do more for the same amount, which should improve their sales cycles as well. So, and the final two, as you may remember, were the uh, concepts of Launchpad and the autonomous enterprise. Okay, perfect. Thank you, guys. Our next question comes from Pinjablam Mbora with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Great. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you one thing that you were talking in the script about uh, more opportunity to further streamline sales, um, additional improvements to go to market. Is there any way to kind of uh, tease that out? Uh, what other things are you thinking that you can uh, you know, apply? Yeah, we've, we've just begun sharing that with the company and are going to spend some time today talking with the company as a whole about what we're doing. But in, in principle, um, we're going to make it so a couple of the roles and functions that historically have been kind of segmented out um, are, are going to become less siloed. 
in the in the front office of the go-to-market. The, the the work of people that we call success managers and people we call account executives and and other sorts of roles and functions that are in there that were specialists in certain areas. We're going to work to bring them under a, a common organizational and management structure. So uh, that, I, I believe, is once again going to continue to make us more effective. Uh, certainly gotten feedback from our clients that it will be easier for them to deal with more focused teams. And I think of it as just really a, a continuation of some of the things we started in January. I, I do believe it will improve sales efficiency, and, but that is not the primary driver here. Got it. Understood. And, and Ken, uh, going back to kind of the sequential decline in ACV, um, was the macro sequentially worse in Q2 versus Q1? Any, anything to note there? I, I don't believe the macro was worse. Um, I think our performance in Q1 was better than our performance in Q2, and naturally that contributes. But that, but that, that you know, Pendulum, that actually happens in a business like ours where we have you know, smaller numbers of deals where the deals are larger value, you tend to not get kind of like, like the, it's not like a statistical like kind of trend in terms of the booking. So that's not that unusual to see in our business. Understood. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jake Roberge with William Blair. Please proceed with your question. Hey guys, thanks for taking my questions. Um, just wanted to dig deeper into your comments that generative AI can commoditize, commoditize just those lower end use cases in low code. Could you just talk more about why your platform's positioning helps you take advantage of AI? And then just from a timing perspective, when do you think we could actually start seeing AI layer into the model? Is that something that's more Q4 or do you think that's more of a 2024 story? Um, could you repeat the second question? I'm sorry. You said, when can we start seeing? Yeah, it was just really around the timing of when we could start seeing AI layer into the model. Is that something yeah. that starts generating revenue in Q4, or is that more of a 2024 story? Um, so so a couple of different uh, things there, uh, all of which I think are terrific, actually. So the the reality is a lot of what you see are people building systems using AI by you know using them as an accelerator for traditional coding, you know think about think about Copilot, uh, using using it to even generate in the low code area entire systems. The trouble with a system that's generated like that is it's it's really hard to change. It doesn't have a structure that makes it easy for you to go in and say, oh, Italy wants to do something differently. How do I go change this set of things for Italy? Because candidly, when the generated stuff happens, it, it tends to kind of get generated uh, in, in, in clumps or in a way that's not necessarily organized for change. The layer cake in PEGA lets you organize the key dimensions of change. We find that in businesses and enterprise businesses, change typically happens uh, for one of three reasons. You generally get a general way you want to do a process or make a set of decisions, and they will vary based on a product variation or a customer variation or a jurisdictional variation, a locational variation. And we have built those dimensions into this layer cake. So when you want to make a change of how something works for Italy or how you handle a particular high-value set of clients, you've got a place to go. You've got a place to go in the layer cake that uh, you can regenerate those pieces as opposed to having to deal with something that looks a lot more like soup. Now, the soup doesn't matter as much in small systems, uh, so I think it's going to be used extensively there. But in anything that you think of as an enterprise solution, really important to have that structure. And this will be hitting the streets uh, this year. So this, you know, this is going to be something that our customers, you know, when 23 ships this summer, uh, this is going to be in the hands of customers. Okay, helpful. Um, and then just we're we're obviously hearing a lot about platform consolidation, just given the the uncertain macro. Have you seen any changes to the competitive environment, or even with your GSI partnerships, 
just as some of the, the larger software platforms like Microsoft and ServiceNow invest more in the space. And then on the other end, have you started to benefit at all just as customers may look to consolidate like a point solution RPA or process mining vendor onto your broader platform? Yeah, we're, we're seeing actual some real benefits from platform consolidation in the pipeline um, and actually in, in real implemented systems where some of our clients are, you know, using using us to, to do more of their, um, you know, both more of their workflows. Uh, and I think that's actually a larger source of benefit for us than the consolidation across different product families like, uh, you know, process mining versus, you know, versus work, out of, work automation. But yeah, I do, I do think we are going to see some consolidation. Uh, and I would expect based on uh, what our history has been when this sort of thing has happened, that that is beneficial for us. Helpful. Thanks for taking my questions. Yes. Our next question is comes from Vinod Sinrathan from Barclays. Please proceed with your question. Hi guys, thanks for taking uh, my questions. Um, I just want to follow up on some of the macro and Gen AI, Gen AI questions you've talked about. Um, and so far, it seems like you know you're seeing some offsetting demand factors between Gen AI, Gen AI starting to help, um, but macro still being a, kind of more of a negative factor. When do you expect this tug of war to kind of start to uh, favor Gen AI over macro and kind of start to show up in a stronger pipeline and then really start to show up in um, net new ACV growth? Yeah, I think the net new ACV growth, I, I, I think the, the tug of war is, um, is won by real things in the hands of real customers. You know, if you look at what's out there, a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of stuff, uh, including ours. Which hasn't fully hit the street yet, and uh, I think as that hits the street, we're going to see it do a, a much harder tug in 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 that direction. I, I also think some of the macro just represents greater conservatism, just extra layers of approvals, or you know, run it by the CFO at the end twice. <laughs> that you know was not candidly present as much um, as we entered the year. But isn't it all shocking, you know, given the uncertainty and that everybody's trying to save money, you know, in this in, in, in this environment? So, you know, I'm I'm you know, very excited. We we need to to be able to achieve our rule of forty ambitions for next year. We need a good growth rate, and we're still psyched to be able to do that. Understood. And then just maybe on the rule of forty. Um, you know, your progression and um, scaling of Pega Cloud and gross margins. You know, at Pega World, I saw you guys were, you know, hoping to adopt externalized services for microservices, I think, by Infinity 24 with a more uh, full deployment by the year after that. Um, how should we think about kind of modeling Pega Cloud gross margin as you kind of hit those milestones? Um, yeah, so we wanted to get uh, – the way I would the way I would frame it is um, – Way back when, when we started this, like five years ago, we said we want to get Pega Cloud gross margin to 70%. Um, a couple years ago, we said we're going to change that number to 75%. We're now pretty close to 75%, and we've talked about that there's no reason why that number can't go and approach 80, um, you know, in the coming years. So I, I would model it kind of in a more linear fashion. That is probably one part of our business that actually does have linearity in terms of the scaling. So I would, I would probably think about it that way. And we're putting improvements online every quarter. Got it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. Our next question comes from Fred Habemeyer with McCory. Please proceed with your question. Thank you very much. Uh, good to speak, Alan. Good to speak, Ken. Um, I think I, I was coming in with more technical focus questions, but something here kind of tickled my fancy. So I wanted to ask, I, I think maybe for Alan, you know, as we think about the opportunity here to potentially improve how customer service, sales, et cetera, are done with the aid of generative AI, I mean, you have all the 
pieces in place to do things like autonomous agents for uh, enterprise and the like, but just wanted to ask you, what, what do you think about the opportunities to kind of like augment or improve how customer service is done more efficiently with generative AI? I think it's enormous. I think it's enormous in an assisted sense, and I also think that it's going to really fundamentally change the way self-service works as well, which is why I'm glad we're not uh, tied to seat counts. Because, uh, let's face it, one of the big cost savings that people are achieving and want to achieve is, is you know, the reduction of labor that they have trouble finding anyway. And, and so, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be a really perfect storm in that direction. And uh, I, I do think that we do have a, a terrific uh, collection of the parts to deliver on that for clients. So I think it'll be great. I'm looking forward to seeing what you'll be doing there. I guess the next one is um, just with respect to your partners as well, how are they approaching their strategies and recommendations at the moment related to just no-code, low-code, and uh, generative AI for their clients? Are they kind of also in a place where they're experimenting with or helping their clients experiment with new technology? And is there any sort of a headwind that this experimentation is doing to uh, platform it up like low-code, no-code platform adoption? Um, I, I, I think there is a lot of experimentation going on throughout the entire business system uh, because, candidly, you know, people are trying to figure out what's real and, 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 and what's hype. The, the partner engagement I've had, though, has been extremely enthusiastic about what we're doing. Uh, I'm not sure that they're as enthusiastic about everybody, but I'm sure the, company, I'm sure the partners will find a way to monetize it themselves <laughs> without, without that. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Schaffel with the Loop Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, Alan, on, on Launchpad, um, you discussed the the, uh, the offering in more detail at the recent Investor Day. I was wondering if you just bring us up to date on the status of your uh, early adopter program for Launchpad and, and maybe just uh, – Talk a little bit about the, some of the parts and capabilities of the offering that your partners are, are most excited about. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled actually with the feedback from our early adopters. The early adopter program is oversubscribed, and the the partners are showing enormous enthusiasm. Just so folks know, uh, if you haven't been plugged into Launchpad, Launchpad is a, a way of bringing the way we've historically thought about work-driven systems to partners who want to capture their own IP and offer their own IP to subscribers uh, powered by Pega. And it was built specifically for this, and I think it's really unique in the market in, in, in being able to do that, and that is the feedback we've gotten from the, uh, the organizations that we've done the early work with. So, uh, you know, we've, we've been reluctant to make any projections for this year because it is a nascent technology. But uh, I'm expecting that I will be able to talk about Launchpad's contribution to the uh, financial strength of the business next year uh, because I think it's going really well. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tom Blakey with KeyBank Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Hey, Alan thank, and Ken, uh, thanks for squeezing me in here. Um, great stuff here. I, I'm trying to balance out these two uh, moving parts on the macro, which seems to have gotten incrementally a little uh, more headwindy, uh, and, and AI, which uh, so you seem more bullish on, Alan, <clears throat> uh, in terms of the, the $1.4 billion count of 23 guys. seems like maybe AI could be incremental here. Uh, but just trying to uh, understand kind of where we are, like where, where, when the guidance was set and where we are now in terms of balancing these two points out. And I have a follow-up on free cash flow. Uh, so let me, take, let me take that one on the revenue side. So, Tom, I think um, it is – this has happened to us in, in a few years where when they're – the pega cloud momentum, you know, creates a little bit of variability on the, on the accounting revenue piece of it. 
right? So if you look at if you look at where we started the year, the revenue number can move around because of that mix of Pega Cloud. I think when you think about our our ACB and our billings, which are which are kind of those are very integrally connected. I'd say that's kind of where the macro discussion comes in. I just want to separate revenue from ACB a little bit. Um, so I think revenue revenue is is definitely a little bit more of a wild card depending on the mix of the contracts. Um, so that that's an unfortunate reality for our business. Uh, but setting that up in terms of the ACB and the billings. I think maybe I'll leave you, Alan, to think about how you think about the macro now versus maybe when we started the year. Yeah, look, on a macro basis, the economic uncertainty and the fact that we have seen, like, some more approvals come into the mix uh, is obviously a, a, a challenge, one we've seen before. But I will tell you, from a macro point of view, Gen AI is a huge and not short-term uh, factor here. And I think it's going to... This is going to fundamentally change our business and a number of other businesses in a very, very big way uh, over the next 12 to 24 months. So I'm, I'm very, very bullish. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to put out a quarter where there wasn't some bit of mixed results. <laughs> uh, we're working towards that. And, uh, you know, the, the cash flow is very positive. I will, I will return to that. You had a question you said about cash flow? Yeah, yeah, I did. And before I get to that, Alan, just while I have you there on the on the huge comment on Gen AI, you know, there's been some uh, uh, fellow vendors and you know big titans out here talking about monetization. There, do you want to offer up maybe you know some visibility very early on here that you see in terms of possible you know like for like uplift in terms of um, uh, pricing or monetization for per, per clients, given that 90% of ACV is going to come from existing clients. Um, yeah, I think the biggest aspect of monetization is going to be because we're going to accelerate our clients' use of the technology so that they're going to use it more. I think some of the vendors exactly. you're referring to are stuck with more of a seat model, and they're going to have to That's figure right. out how to fix it. Uh, we don't have that problem. So we're, we're really in a good place that as customers get excited about this and want to use it, it's going to lead to greater volumes, and that will lead directly to monetization. We will have some add-on things that are separately priced. But I don't expect that we're going to do something onerous to our clients like I, I think some customers are worried about from other vendors. I mean, I've heard some numbers brought forward on seat pricing that uh, I think are, are going to be anxiety-producing to their customer base. We don't have to do that with our, we don't have to do that with our customer base to turn this into money. Yeah, I guess you know you know what I was referring to, Alan. Thank you. That's very clear. And on uh, the, the impressive free cash flow here, um, I'm just wondering – you know, your converts are still trading, I think, at a 8 or 9% discount here, Ken. Uh, not calling out anything specifically, but I'd like to know what your updated thinking is there. I know uh, things are probably a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better word, happy for you here, Ken. So, uh, but, you know, just an update on capital structure, uh, capital return, and also how it kind of, like, maybe possibly impacts that rule of 40 um, as, you, as you move things around here with a much, uh, you know, p potentially better balance sheet going forward. That'd be helpful. Thank you. Well, I, I think I think that we were never um, we were never uh, aggressively in the market to buy back the converts. We were offered those were opportunistic uh, where where you know some investors you know what were looking to um, you know to get out of their positions, and we felt like there was an, an interesting IRR to do so. Um, and actually, as the stock price goes up and as we get closer to maturity, that becomes um, there becomes less arbitrage, so to speak, on that versus what we can get at overnight rates. So I would say we're still, you know, we'll we'll consider uh, opportunities when they when they come in, but we're not uh, we're not aggressive uh, we're not aggressively going out, nor did did we on the other transactions. I think it's more just a sign that you know we have a lot of confidence in the durability of the business and the cash flow of the business, and we felt like. Uh, we're very comfortable, you know, taking that hundred million dollars out of the convert. And and then just from a and from a longer term perspective, so just letting from a strategic perspective, then uh, just letting the cash build. Yeah, I mean, we have naturally from a capital allocation standpoint, we have a near term. Uh, event if we wanted to have, which is to basically not, you know, to basically take out the converts and not to, you know, to re to re up them or to refinance them. So naturally, that's something that's out there that, uh, you know, we, we want as much flexibility as we can on, you know, with our options. We're 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 at time, but uh, I see there are a, a couple more people in the queue. We'll 
very quickly take two more questions. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Our next question comes from Patrick Walt-Ravens with Citizens JMP. Please proceed with your question. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, so, Alan, my question is, do you have enough uh, sort of PhD-level AI talent to do what you want to do? I mean, you have Peter Vanderpooten, and then you added Christian, right? But how much do you need? How do you well, get I have, it? Uh, you... I, have, I, have, I have Rob Walker, too, who's a pretty good PhD and has been with us. He was on the main stage at Tiger World. And, I, and we have a couple of others who aren't PhDs but easily could have been who are sprinkled in. So, yeah, I feel really good about our talent base in this. Oh, and then can I ask, as long as, uh, can we get an update on the lawsuit? There's probably not a lot you can say, but whatever you can say. You know, we're in the, in the appeal waiting process, and I'm looking forward to, to you know, getting, getting that in front of the judges. I'll just say that. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you. And I think we are at time, so we will, uh, we will have to call it. Let me just tell everyone, thank you very much. Uh, we're working hard for you. We're actually generating cash, which I know Ken and I are both very excited about. And we will continue to keep you all updated. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. This concludes today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.